Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about expressing your brand. Yeah. Hmm, Very excited for expert. this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the plan today is for Rochelle to give me a deep dive on her framework for uh, sort of the tactics and uh, how to think about collecting. Well, you can tell me, but these like sort of three step process for assembling the pieces of your brand and then getting them out into the world. Is that, is that my, is my understanding correct? Well, I think that's one way to look at it. Yeah. Um, so here's how I think about it. So first of all, you want to get clear on the strategic side of your brand, right? So what's your, you know, what's your big idea? Who's your audience? Um, what are your messages? You know, those kinds of things. And then once you get that strategic framework clear, I like to think of it as an easy way to attack the tactics of expressing your brand and so it's stories actions and visuals and if you think about it those three things together when you have some kind of a professional services business those are all the ways that you can let your audience or your clients or your prospects know who you are what you stand for and what you have to offer and the key is and this is why you have it you have this within a strategic framework is that they have to align mm. Right. So you don't want to tell a story that makes no sense with what you do and how you operate. You don't want to. I mean, Jonathan, I pick on you so many times about this, but you don't want to have Jonathan's clear, direct messaging and then have, I don't know, flowers floating across your website. Right. Like that. <laughs> and it, unicorns. Yeah, exactly. It would be such a, you know, a misalignment of your message with your strategy. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of where I think we could start and then, you know, talk about, you know, what do we do with stories, actions, and visuals, and how do we use them? Because I, I think the other thing is that a lot of people, when they hear the word brand, they think about the visual, you know, that it's a logo or it's a, you know, it's an image, it's a, you know, it's something, you know, colors. visual. Yeah. Yeah. What are your colors? What's, what's your font? And those are all important. Uh, clearly, I mean, I'm not saying those are not, but it's part of, it's really only a third of the whole piece when you look at the actions that you take. And, and I can argue if, if you act incongruently with your visuals, people are going to notice that. And all of a sudden your actions are the most important thing. And then the stories, the stories that you tell about the transformations you've made with clients, your own journey here, etc. Cool. All right. So when you're first working with someone, how do you is do you start with a particular one or where do you once you i mean do you first set uh get clear on a strategy and then you start saying okay so so mm -hmm. this is this is your strategy so if, if it's me it's like a no-nonsense uh, business coaching brand focused on uh, ditching hourly billing or increasing your profits or whatever and, all and right. you're saying who your audience is you know you're defining your audience you know, yep. there are software developers who you know, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Right. They yeah. know that tabs is crazy and spaces is the only real way to code. Just kidding. And, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, that got a howl, I guarantee. So, um, okay, so you know your audience, you know yourself. You typically and... have a point of view expressed also. Okay, so that's right? the so higher you... level stuff. Yeah, all that, because otherwise the stories, actions, and visuals don't have any anchor. Yep to strategy, then they're just tactics and they're just kind of floating in the ether. Tactics work when they're attached to strategy. Yes. 
Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. Sun Tzu, Art of War. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Yes. So the so okay so you've got the sort of groundwork laid. The anchor is there. How do you help people, or how could our listeners help themselves to go through this these three steps? Do you start with stories? Do you start with actions? Do you start with visuals? Do you do them all a little bit at a time? How do you start digging that stuff out? Okay, I tend to do the three together because they're they're inseparable. But if you're doing it on your own, I would I would probably start with the stories. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the reason why I would start there is because one of the exercises I give clients is something that I call experiences and stories. And what you do is you write down, you know, I would say like a paragraph. You know, a sentence usually isn't quite enough. Multiple paragraphs is too much. Let's say a paragraph about any significant experience you've had in your life. And obviously you want a lot of professional experiences in there, but you also want some personal things that that have happened to you or that you've made happen for yourself. And what happens when you do that and you have 20, 30, I've had people that have had 80 of them. Um, when you look at that, you start to see the threads that connect who you are with what you do and how you serve clients. And so the stories tend to be in that exercise. Hmm. So what, what, but what kind of stories? So if I'm doing this, if you said, do this and then i'd think okay immediately i hit kind of a roadblock like well are these how are these going to be used are these going to be blog posts or are these going to be uh, do these need to be relevant do i need to believe that these are relevant no don't you don't overthink it it's these are the significant things that have happened to me in my life including your career or that i've made to happen oh okay so like you know i i I've done it for myself multiple times. And, you know, and so there's the things like from childhood that you remember that marked you, both good and bad, hmm. you know, because this is a private list. You don't have to show this list to anybody else, okay. right? Yeah. And then you include your work things. And what happens when you do this, if, if you do it and you, you won't do it in one sitting, you'll probably come back to it a few times. But after a while, when you go from one to two to three to five, you start to see these themes coming out this, this is so funny because i am reading a book right now or it's actually a, a book an old school book on tape that is now available on audible from william zinser who wrote the most amazing book on writing ever called on writing well and this the part of the tape he talks about writing a memoir and how to write a memoir and mm-hmm. you just described exactly what he said yeah. where it just doesn't don't judge anything it's like sit down Pick a thing that, like, think, what's happened to me? And the first thing that pops in your mind, write it down. Mm-hmm. And then just don't judge it. Don't imagine where it's going to go. Don't think, I'm writing a memoir. This is going to be in the book. You know, just collect the ideas. And then as, if you do that for a few months, and then you go back and look at it, just exactly like you said, he's like, you're going to see threads and you're going to see like, oh, these are the, here's a through line. Here's a narrative. Here's something that people might be interested in. Or here are the defining things. That's like a weird, weird coincidence. Yeah, it's I, and I would really emphasize the no judgment. Now, when somebody's working with me one to one, it's it's a little bit easier because the judgment rises up and they'll tell me about it, mm-hmm. and so I can you know talk them through like getting rid of the judgment. But I've had numerous people who r- did this exercise and and gave the results to me, and they said, you know, I just feel bad about myself because I didn't see when the things went wrong, I didn't see it soon enough. 
And I looked at them and I had the exact opposite reaction. I read them and thought, wow, this person is amazing that they went through X and came out of it with Y. And obviously I don't want to use real examples because they're, you know, personal stories, but it's, it's amazing. And so that's what happens. So it's the key is to suspend judgment. And, um, you know, I've had people that will write like paragraphs and paragraphs about one experience. And, you know, I always say, if you need to write paragraphs, go right ahead. Um, if you need, if a sentence is enough for you to capture it in your mind, that's okay. It's usually about a paragraph, like three or four sentences will mm-hmm. usually capture the essence of the experience. And the more you write, the more it takes you into that experience versus being able to step back from it and see how they all work together mm-hmm. to have brought you to where you are. I know I mean, it sounds I'm... a little woo woo, but it really no, no. does work. It's it's uh, it probably would sound more woo to me if I hadn't just listened to this book. But um, there, one of the things that he um, one of the things he mentions is probably more true if you are actually planning on publishing this. But um, that you'll feel you'll feel the people in the story looking over your shoulder and judging you or censoring it or you feel bad about their feelings. But in your example, especially if they were working with you, you know, like not just doing this on their own, I could imagine people being like ashamed or embarrassed to like actually tell the story mm-hmm. even in a short form because yeah. of course you know I mean ex- obviously no one's no one's perfect so there's going to be you know and the memorable ones are usually seems like I'm trying to scan back like what are my memorable the ones that all popped up to me were like uh, things I would maybe change if that was possible you know what I mean like go right. back and be like oh right yeah, yeah, and I like to detach the shame piece because yeah. you know, there's there's just no room for that when we're doing this. And, you know, there was someone I worked with recently uh, who had that kind of same reaction, Joe, I wish I'd done this faster. And right. I was just astounded at what an extraordinary life this person had led. I mean, I really, I was actually humbled by it. And it, it happens more often than you might think. And it's, I think what it is, is that we look, we all look at everybody else for our cues and we think, oh, so-and-so has it all together. You know, not me, boy, it took me 10 years to figure this one out. Well, you know what, <laughs> we're, we're each, you know, we each start from where we start from and we've had our own experiences and we learn from them. And so I, I really love the things that didn't go well when you think about stories, because nobody's life is a perfect story arc, except, you know, in, in, in books, you know, yeah, in movies. Fiction. Yeah. It's, it just, it doesn't happen that way. So yeah. So suspend judgment, write those, you know, write that paragraph about those experiences and give it some room to breathe. And what'll happen is there are stories in there and there are themes. Maybe it's stories isn't the right word. Maybe it's themes that you'll see. Because when I say stories, I think some people go, oh, can I write a blog post? Or really what this is helpful for a lot of times is the about section Mm -hmm. on your website to kind of pull out and tease out the things that are different about you that still tie into the messaging, right? The strategic side of how you're approaching, you know, putting your your brand and your business out there. Mm, That's another parallel from the memoir thing, which is that there's, you know, you're going to come up with a lot of stuff. You, it's, you know, we've all got it written down, pages and pages of these paragraphs of little stories. And then you get to decide what the narrative is and throw out the stuff that isn't part of the narrative. 
even though it's true and it's part of your life and it happened on the timeline, like it doesn't matter that you went to Las Vegas if it has nothing to do with the story you're trying to tell. So the, in the, the memoir example, the story you're trying to tell, or the, it's not even trying to tell. It's like the story that emerges from these, uh, little snippets that you write down, the story that emerges from it, um, yeah, your story is the wrong word. Just like you said, it's like theme or narrative or the point or mm-hmm. like, why would someone care? You just throw out the stuff that's not related to it and stick with the stuff that is. So, okay. So like, let's say that I suspend my uh, shame and self-judgment and I am able to crank out 50 of these stories and, uh, then what, you know, like, I, okay, I look at them. I see a theme of whatever I can guess what it is for me, but I'll keep it to myself. <laughs> It wouldn't surprise anybody, like lone wolf, blah, 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 (laughs) you know. Well, that's the thing is what's funny is most other people see it with us, but we don't always see it ourselves. Right. Yeah. But so what's the next step? So you take it and just like, you you can't just slap it on your about page, I'm sure. No, no. So what I do is I go through and I mark the ones that I think are the significant ones. And and then I, I, I... reduce it from there. So if, if you handed me 50, I might pick 10 and it's not a percentage. It's just that, you know, it's not 50, right? We're not going to use 50, um, even though they were significant to you. So I'm going to pick some out and I'm going to test them with you to make sure that I've picked the ones that resonate with you. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, let's say that, um, from a career perspective, you started writing about bosses that you didn't work well with, or maybe a job where you got fired or a client you hated, you know, and what I'm doing there is I'm pulling out and I'm not going to use it for the about page, but I'm pulling out what you like and where you're in your genius zone and where you're not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and there may be, and there usually is some commonality between the client you hated, you know, the, the boss who fired you. Right. And there's, there's like something in there that's like a no, and when you find a no, we can make a powerful yes on the opposite side of that. Got it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes it's, you know, you just want to actively repel people that are not your people, the people you don't want to work with. Other times it's, um, and it, again, it, sometimes it depends on the mindset of the person when they're doing the writing. Um, and other times it's really identifying where the powerful yeses are for, mm-hmm. for your work. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like a very interesting exercise, like independent of whether you're trying to do an overall rebrand or launching a new business, just just seems like, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm old now and it's like, oh, that's like thinking it back to all though. these stories. Yeah. It is, because the thing is you forget. Mm-hmm. And not because we're old enough to forget, but because we're <laughs> old enough to have had so many experiences that, right. you know, if something doesn't trigger that memory, you may not really, you know, remember right. that. Yeah. And there is something about drilling into, like I think of a time period like when I was in a band and that was a very intense period and just packed with, just jam-packed wall-to-wall with bizarre experiences. (laughs) Like, you know, it's just crazy. And, but, you know, if I, if I, it would, it would take me some time to like remember them, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like it's packed in a box in my head. I have to unopen the box and pull stuff out of it. And like one memory would probably give me another memory would give me another memory and and like as you drill into it anyway it's it sounds kind of like a fun exercise to do in my copious free time <laughs> well it's one of those things where it's it, you know it's sort of a gift you give yourself 
right? Because, you know, what is that line about a life unexamined? And it's, and you can use this for your own, you know, psychological human growth purposes. I mean, I use it for something very specific, but it's, it is, it's, there's a lot of value in the exercise. And um, what I love about it is it gets more clarity on you because, you know, part of my core belief system is that what we want to do when we brand ourselves for the kinds of businesses we're in, right? We're not talking about Procter and Gamble. We're talking about our professional businesses is that, and, and especially for soloists in particular, it's that you want to take that essence of you and put it into your business. It's not about you, but you're channeling the things about yourself in the way that you do business. And the more you align those you know, stories, actions, and visuals, the more powerful your attraction is to your ideal audience. <laughs> the new fragrance from Rochelle Moulton, Essence <laughs> <Sorry>. of You. <laughs> I just realized that I, I was definitely up on my, on my preaching box right that there. Should be the, that should be the title, Essence of You. Okay, so, <laughs> no, but I, lo- I love it. I love it. I think it's a really cool exercise, and I, I, am, I have not done it, but I am confident that if I did, I would get lots of surprises, and it would be mostly fun, in spite of the few shamey like whoops, I could have could have handled that situation better. Yeah, uh, we all have you know more we than a whoopsies. few of those. Right. Yeah. yeah. So is that? I mean, so then once I've got once I've got that, so now here we are. We've got our themes. We've got our stories, paragraphs written down. We've got our themes. We've identified. You know, genius's own type stuff. Ideal clients are the kinds of clients that we should repel. Is that uh, is that the purpose of the stories, or is that the end of the story well, with stories? Well, let me. So let's let's use two words. Let's use stories and let's use experiences. Um, mm-hmm. Because stories, when I say stories, actions, and visuals, is more than just your experiences. But what we were just talking about are really experiences. They're not a story yet. Okay. Right. They're showing you the narrative. But you haven't written the story, putting all, but you have all the bullet points in theory to create the story. And then the so stories in its bigger sense are, um, you know, yes, it's marketing stories, like your about page becomes a story. But it's also, I think of it as the client stories that you tell. Like when you're in the process of having a new business conversation with someone, you know, chances are you're going to give them an example of something, right? You're going to tell them a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I remember from my big firm consulting days, it used to make me crazy when some like national consultant would come in and he would tell these stories about these other big companies. And I remember being appalled because he was name dropping. Right. I was like, that's a confidential assignment. You can't just do that. It used to tick me off because the story was about him and his ego. Hmm. Right. Versus the client and what they really need to know. So what I love about this process is you figure out what client stories you can tell. And, you know, you don't have to use names. Mm -hmm. Um, You probably use the word shouldn't, depending on, you know, what permission level permission you have and what level of intimacy you have with those clients. Like coaches usually don't talk about them. Right. Um, So you you really um, you decide how. Uh, you want to tell the stories, which ones, which of those experiences become a story, mm-hmm. an actual story. And then, you know, in a big picture way, it's almost like, um, you know, the old Chinese menu approach, you know, one from column A, one from column B, one from column C, so that in your mind, 
when you're in a new business meeting, you know which stories to tell. Oh, right. A is, you know, Fortune 500, you know, B is, you know, this was the problem, or B is this uh, area of expertise, and C is this kind of problem. And so you kind of go, your brain goes, da, 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 ka-ching, story, <laughs> this story. Um, but the reason that I say that is because there are a lot of people that really have trouble in that one-to-one business conversation because they know their stuff but they might be uncomfortable with how to talk about it and sell it in ways that aren't technical, but are tied to the client's own problems and situations. Right. So on the spot, it's helpful to have these kind of kind of fleshed out previously. Yeah, just that you've thought about them. And, you know, mm-hmm. it could be as simple as, you know, you, you know, I love to write everything down, but it might be as simple as, you know, if you look at some websites, you'll see a modified version of a case study where it's a paragraph. Right. Yep. Problem, you know, solution, outcome, something like that. So it's just right. it's sort of like a cheat sheet to remind you of the cool things that you've done and the transformational outcomes that you've made happen. Right. Yeah. Yep. I have. And I can think back to, you know, go, going on dozens, maybe hundred. I don't know how many hundreds of podcasts. Uh, people all ask a lot of similar questions. And so oh, I find find certain questions I've got it almost word for word answer to. I bet you if I if I lined up all the recordings of like, oh, how did you realize hourly billing was nuts? Like the answer to that question is a specific story. Mm-hmm. And I've told it, you know, I've got like a 30 second version of it and a five minute version of it. And depends on how much time we have. <laughs> but it's just, you know, I kind of like stumbled my way into that after almost like retelling and retelling and retelling in like the most effective ways and the parts that land and the parts that felt awkward or came out funny or maybe or like insulting or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, all right. So it's, it's fascinating to imagine doing this in advance and not having to spend five years figuring it out the hard way, you know, with a, with a tape running. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is I've, this, this is, you know, one of my little quirks is I have to like play with them out loud. Right, because I write differently than I speak, at least the first time. So it's like I have to say it out loud. So I'll be in a room by myself trying to tell a story, which is kind of ridiculous. But then I can, you know, then I can capture it. But there's something about trying it this way and trying it that way, and you know, it, which you did with podcasts. Right, you did exactly right. the same thing. You just had the recorder running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's what a lot of this is, is in stories, not, you know, in a fakey, fakey, over-rehearsed practice way, but stories in the sense that, you know, here are the kinds of things that I, consultant, have seen, and here's how we work through those, and here's what the outcome looks like, this, and, and what it, you know, feels like, smells like, right? Because you, you want to make that outcome as tangible as you can for your client because, you know, we're selling air, we're selling the invisible, the invisible as we said right. last week. Yeah. 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 So this to me the stories are all about making it tangible but having this link back to you and the things you do really well. Cool. Good summary. Okay, so maybe uh, does that segue into actions? It feels like, you know, we're starting to talk yeah. about being on the spot with clients and get, getting interviewed or doing a sales interview, that kind of thing. So yeah. um, if we were going to Let's say I've got all this stuff done. I've got my stories re- not rehearsed, but I know them. I know the, a good way to tell them. And maybe I've got some of them on my about page or whatever. So like, what are how do actions play into this or how do they overlap or how do they relate? Well, let me 
define what I mean by an action, which, you know, like, duh, but I just want to be clear, is so an action is anything that you do or any, if you have other people working for you, anything that they do that um, is, is uh, what do I have? I can't even describe it myself. Um, An action is something that you do. It's a proactive thing that you do. So an action is answering the phone, if you you do that. Um, It's what you say when you answer the phone. An action is not answering the phone and the message that that um, imparts. So it's the things that you do. And there's a difference when you're virtual versus when you're in person or when you're like many of us, a little bit of both. Um, But it's, I think what happens is a lot of times we underestimate the power of our actions. And Mm -hmm. it can be as simple as um, listening to someone when you're in a room together and having them know that you're actively listening to them versus thinking about what you're going to say next. It's, It's all of those things. And, um, for some people, not for some people, for all of us, we all have blind spots. Like we don't realize that when we say something a certain way, it would be said so professorial and it doesn't sound right. <laughs> and then otherwise, other times we sound like, hey, dude, you know, and it's not the right fit. The key is with actions is that they are in alignment with mm. your brand. If your brand, your strategy is in alignment with who you are and how you like to work, this isn't going to be a problem. What's going to happen typically is there are one or two things that you're doing that you're not aware of that don't align. And so typically this is more about tweaking than it is about like overhauling something that you're doing. But it's bringing what you do in alignment with what, who you say you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally get it. it. So, you know, it's basically observable behaviors, right? Actions are like the things that other... Thank you. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay, good. So, so I, I just to pile... I mean, I don't, there's nothing to add really, but I, I can say that uh, a classic one is that when I would speak at conferences, a lot of times the organizers would video it and then you get a chance to see yourself in... Um, like the audience did and you get a much different experience of the experience. So mm-hmm. like when you're up there, even when, even, even when we're on this podcast, I know we've both talked about this before. We're not listening in the same way as when we listen to the recording later, because we're mm-hmm. also thinking. So we have to like think, we can't just like passively sit there. We're kind of like, you have to be thinking a little bit ahead but also listening and being engaged when you're on stage and it's just like, Oh, so much, uh, not pressure really, but you know, but I guess pressure in a sense, it's just an unnatural situation. Mm-hmm. So you can't, it's very difficult to be really, uh, self-aware in the same way as you would be in a, like a more social, normal social situation. So anyway, I, it's, I can remember early on watching videos and being like, Oh man, I got to stop doing that and Mm -hmm. that, and that, you know, and it's, but it's not major things and it's not things that, at least with me, it was never major things. It was all like, Oh, I just need to stop putting my hands in my pockets or I need to do, I need to stop like pacing or, um, or saying, um, 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 whatever, whatever the thing is, it's usually a small tweak and it totally stands out. As soon as you have this objective view, if you can get an objective view of those situations or some kind of feedback from someone you trust and, and the immediate, you're immediately like, oh, I want to, 
it's not like, oh, geez, I have to stop saying dude. Because as soon as you see it, as soon as you're made aware of it, you're embarrassed. And you're like, oh, that's, mm-hmm. ugh, yuck. That's an the area worst for of this is that feeling, you know, because we're like, ah, damn, I'm not perfect. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. yeah. The feeling for me is like, oh, I thought that went a lot better than it really did. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing to remember, though, is, you know, we're our own worst critics, especially when, you know, we listen to ourselves or we watch ourselves on video. Most of the people who watch are not that critical. Yeah which is sort of like a little sad, but it, it is true. So it's go ahead and be critical in this of, of your performance in the sense of being constructive to make it better, not shame yeah, or yeah, embarrassment. Yeah. And I know, listen, I, I go there too when I have to listen to myself over <laughs> and over again. Um, but it's, it's, that's not helpful. We wanna keep it constructive and you know, and then we just keep getting better. Can you think of actions with past clients that are maybe some typical ones that that fly under the radar or that that are they have blind spots for? Well, it's you know, in these days of virtual, I hesitate to use this example, but it's I mean, it's just so clear. So, um, you know, I used to go to client meetings, you know, in a group. Right. One of, one of my early mentors said consultants should be like nuns. We should always travel in pairs. <laughs> and the reason for that is because, you know, because one, <laughs> one person is typically doing more of the talking and it's hard to listen as closely if you're also talking. Yep. And so uh, so the ideal when you go with two is you you talk about it ahead of time, have a little strategy and you each play your roles. You know, one does a little more talking, one does a little more listening. And if you Usually the listener, the listener is the junior person and they kind of get, have to get permission from the senior person to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. But so the, but the example I wanted to use is I I can remember being in a room, I think there were four of us with maybe eight clients and one of the, one of the people on our team just wouldn't shut up, (laughs) like literally wouldn't shut up. And my job in that particular meeting was I was managing the relationship. I was not the technical expert in the room and I literally reached under the table and kicked him so that he would stop and he like looked at me and I just you know I kind of did a nod of the head and he stopped and we talked afterwards and I said I know you were nervous he goes oh I was so nervous I said you just have to stop Mm -hmm. and leave some air for clients to speak (laughs) you know and I didn't hurt him when I kicked him but I got his attention right so yeah it was like that is something that we a lot of us do because we get nervous (laughs) right and there's totally 10 people and they're all looking at you and you're supposed to be the technical expert so you just like keep going because you figure the more technical stuff that comes out of your mouth the better Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I couldn't I couldn't agree that's a great one uh for folks who are familiar with my shtick, the sales interview and the why conversation are designed specific. If you follow those rules, they're designed to make you shut up. It's not a pitch. You're not trying to impress anyone. You're trying to find out if the client would be a good fit for you. Let them talk. Um, not that, you know, we're talking about actions in general. This is just one, but that is a really common one is that you get nervous and you want to try and impress the other person. And it's the exact opposite of what you need to do. They need to impress you. That's the frame you want. Yeah, and I think the other thing that people get stuck on is when you're talking to someone who is an influencer, and I don't mean in the social media sense, but someone who can influence, like a center, a, a, a center of influence. Um, 
someone who can influence your client buying you. Yes. So like if you're a consultant and, and you know a coach, an executive coach that coaches the kinds of people that you work with. Mm -hmm. And so you want to know how to talk to that person about what you do so they get it. And you know, one of the things I found people do sometimes is that they don't prepare for those kinds of conversations. Mm. And they walk away they from the conversation. It. Yeah, going. Bleh, bleh, bleh. But when you talk to those people, I mean, they're people too. They they have things that they would like to get from you. They need to understand in a nutshell. And yes, you know, there's the marketing sentence or two. But I'm talking about when you get deeper than that. Because mm. with those kinds of people, they want to know more about what you do. You've got to be ready for those kinds of conversations. And so that would be another example of where... It's not just telling the story, it's the action. It's, it's the action of preparing yes. and treating that conversation like a client meeting. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. I'm so guilty of winging it in the past. So guilty, yeah. Because it's not like, um, it's almost like you take certain things less seriously because there's no money on the line or something or whatever the reason is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like you just, the example you just gave is excellent. It's like not, it's not a client. So maybe you would prepare more for a client meeting than for this conversation. But a conversation with an executive coach who has lots of clients is probably more important than, you know, any individual client consultation so, or conversation. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's a great one. Yeah. It's the, you know, to me, the action, the, the bigger picture action in all of that is that you care enough about whoever you're talking with to have done some homework. Mm -hmm. And the amount of homework you do may vary based on the opportunity, right? If this is somebody who just said, oh, let's talk in LinkedIn, maybe all you do is you look at their LinkedIn profile, you read it, maybe you click on their website and that's, that's enough, mm -hmm. right? But if it's someone who, it's more than just a, oh, it's nice to meet you conversation, then you probably want to do a little bit more homework so that you can connect the dots, yeah, I mean, I, I can think of an example, and this is like really far from money, so that's why it makes me think of it, um, where I was going on a podcast interview, which, you know, you do them for free, and like, who knows when it'll even come out, if it ever does, you know, it's easy to, to not take them too seriously. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a mistake, but it's easy to do that, and I ha if you're doing lots of them. And, and I had one that I was like, this is a big show that is directly to my target market and has lots of listeners and they never talk about the stuff I'm about to talk about. So I knew it was a really big opportunity. Mm. And all I did, which I, you know, previously I had never done this. All I did was write down three bullet points with three bullet points underneath each one mm -hmm. and had that on a piece of paper next to me as we went through the interview. And it was easily the best interview I had ever done at the time. I was like, wow. It was, I was blown away because it, was, it kept me from long-time listeners for note that I, I have a propensity for uh, going off into the weeds about, a, you know, whatever, some tangent. And I didn't do that at all on that show. I really liked the effect of it. And it was just like, and like when we do a show, even here, if we don't write down what we're going to talk about first, it's like, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we both need to bullet point. Yeah. So that's another great one. It's like a, a great, you know, if you, if you are, uh, you know, and almost certainly, right? Like anybody listening to this is going to be getting interviewed at some point. You're either going to be on a podcast or you've got a sales interview or something. You're going to do it. You have to talk to people. 
and you want to assuming that your brand is not scatterbrain you know you want to have like uh, clear thinking like a framework for what you're going to talk about an agenda whatever you want to call it but like some kind of organized thinking and like 60 seconds of preparation just to write down a couple of points so you can always be bringing it back to the theme is just a, a just a really easy action that you can take that is going to I was going to say set you apart from the crowd, but it'll certainly set you apart from what you would have, you know, the other you who didn't do that. Yes. So I call those sound bites, like your, mm-hmm. your, your list. And so if you think about it this way, you've got a point of view. The sound bites come out of your point of view, out of your belief system, typically, mm-hmm. um, strategically. But for a specific interview, your sound bites might be different because their audience is a little different. Maybe the message is a little bit different, but that's what you do. If, if, um, I don't know, CNN called today and said they want to interview you about your area of expertise, the least amount of preparation you would do is to think about those sound bites. Because mm-hmm. those are the things, you know, you might do an interview for 10 minutes, but only, you know, 13 seconds gets aired. Right. Right. So it's, it's, you always want to be thinking about those. Think about them as sound bites and you'll never go wrong. Mm hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking back to the Starbucks card thing when I was on MSNBC and like Alan Combs radio show live. It was like, I you better believe I had my bullet points. Yeah, no pressure, right? Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. Anyway, so okay, so we've got stories, um, we've got actions, we you know the observable behaviors, mm-hmm. and and or lack thereof, <laughs> and you know like like not answering the phone, for example, or not right. being responsive, and we gave a couple of examples that people might recognize in their own, you know, like, are these, are these actions that are observable by my clients uh, or audience? Are they in line with the overall brand that I'm trying to get across here? Um, all right. So is there, is there more there? Or should we move on to visuals? Yeah, I think we could go to visuals. All right. So this is absolutely my Achilles heel. So, or, <laughs> or maybe the, the lack of visuals is on brand for me. So let's, let's go through this. So visuals are, it's not just, um, um, like a picture of yourself, right? It's it's logo, if you have a logo, it's colors, it's fonts, it's images that you use on your site. It's also how you look. It's like, do you wear like, I don't know, some kind of like really cool architect glasses, you know? Or, you know, if you're a designer, you probably have like this cool sort of look to you, whatever that is. It's the visual. It's how you present yourself and your business and all of the collateral that goes with it. So anything mm-hmm. you can see with your eyes. Yep. Okay. And how, but so, but how do I figure I'm just like, when I say me, just I'm the dear listener. Mm-hmm. How do I take, or what can I look at? Assuming I've followed all these instructions, I've got my stories, I've got my uh, experiences, I've got my narrative, I've got my, I know what actions are on brand and not on brand. I've got my overall brand strategy. How do I translate that into like a font choice or a color scheme? That's why we have designers. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. And so a lot of times when I'm working with a client on strategy, I'll give some very high level guidance um, on design. But the key is a good designer wants to hear your strategy and you let them help you express it. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a, you know, there's a magic box that that all goes into. I'm working right now with just this amazing designer and I am so in awe of his black box 
Like mm-hmm. I never know what's going to come out the other side, but it's always amazing, <laughs> right? So, so in terms of that, you know, find yourself a really good visual designer to help you express it. And don't, you know, don't hire your kid unless they're, you know, a really fabulous visual designer. You know, don't hire some, you know, Yahoo down the street, you know, spend some coin, right? Mm -hmm. Get yourself somebody who's good because you will see the difference. Um, But but there's, there are things that you can do as a non-designer around visuals. And so it's, again, it's alignment with your strategy. So if your strategy is to be, um, uh, kind of minimal, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you say in 10 words, what someone else says in a thousand, then you don't want a lot on your site. Now I'm not going to say no visuals. I'm just going to say you want those visuals to be in line. Like I'm thinking of Paul Jarvis as an example, his site, you can't get much cleaner mm-hmm. than his site, right? It's basically all white with some black type on it. Right. Um, that works for his brand. Um, if and you he's a at, designer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But but there are other people who are not designers who really like that that minimalist feeling, or yep. or I'll even call it light, not light in terms of content, but just lighter. You don't want it weighed down with a lot of stuff. Um, there's a woman by the name of uh, Daniela Laporte who does a lot with black and white, and then from time to time she'll pop it with a little touch of pink or something. Now her audience is is very different. It's kind of a new age uh, female audience, but she's got a very clear visual design. And mm. I, like if something popped in my email or in my social media, I would always know if it was her. It's that distinctive. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. James Clear, Derek Sivers. There's there's plenty of examples of uh, I would I mean I would call them really nice sites. They're valuable and useful and clear and uh, I mean James James Clear I don't think has a he's got a picture of his book and I don't think there's a picture of him on the entire website. Derek Sivers has I think like there might be because we found one for our podcast. I think there's one on there somewhere, but it's hidden. You know, it's, it's not hidden, like obvious. Right. Yeah, it's not like you're looking com- for it. Yeah, like most consultants or author websites, like Dan Pink's site, you like you like land there and like everything above the fold is like his face or, you know, standing there in front of a mountain with like the headline off to the right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, right. and like James Clear is very much a personal brand, but he just doesn't, he doesn't want to make it about, like he doesn't want to be recognized on the street. And he's like, I want my ideas to be well known. I want my ideas to spread, but I don't, I don't want to be recognized. Like what cares what I look like? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then you have the opposite. Which includes yeah. me, <laughs> right? <laughs> my my site is full of color, but it's it's all about um, strategically who you want to reach. So so let's say your your audience are Fortune five hundred uh, C suite. So whether yeah. it's the let's say that let's say it's the CFO, just because that's sort of a visual people can get. So so if you think okay, Fortune five hundred CFOs, um, maybe seventy five percent male, twenty five percent female. So a little bit of a gender difference. Um, uh, a little bit more conservative, um, so so you start to think about that, and I'm assuming that that vi- ties with who you are, right? That yes, this is, these assume. are your people, yeah. Right. Let's assume. Yeah, so your visuals are going to be more muted. 
Um, hopefully they're high impact to a CFO, but it's probably not like, I don't know, a picture of an ostrich, right? <laughs> it's it's going to be like really focused and you could certainly put yourself there. In fact, I would argue that I'd want to see your face on that site if you're a soloist, um, but it's really going to be more muted and subdued, but still with visuals. Yeah, that's a fair point. James Clear is not a consultant. He's an author. And so like for the fact that he's sort of hid his face on the site, it's possibly a different deal because I think in a consulting situation, there's an implication that there's going to be some one-on-one interaction Mm -hmm. at some point. And the more you know about like the more vibe you have off the person, I think is, is probably better. And assuming, I mean, the, the big thing is, um, that you want your visual, whether it's like colorful and, and lots of photography and ostriches and whatnot, that's <laughs> fine as long as, or it's, you know, just like a word document, as long as it's aligned with the overall, uh, the big picture yes. brand strategy, it's perfect. Yes. So if you can get a designer that understand that, that is willing to work in that way because they aren't all like a lot of them will be like, they just want to create something beautiful, which is admirable. But if beautiful is not on on brand for you, then that's not what you want. I actually think you'll be surprised because one of the things that happens is that a lot of designers that are working with soloists um, are so unused to getting brand direction <laughs> that when they get it, they're like, oh my God, thank you. And they go, go off and create something that is exactly on point. Mm. I've had good and bad experiences. Yeah. It's part of it is, you know, like, like anyone is we need to know what the strategy is before we can create the tactical expression of that. Right. Right. And so if you're a designer and you're having a meeting with your client virtually or in person, doesn't matter. You, you get a perception about what they want and they tell you what they want and you can look at things that they've done. Um, but to have a, a document that says in, you know, a couple of pages, you know, this is who the audience is, this is what we want, this is, um, these are the brand attributes, you know, this is the feel we want from the site, uh, this is what we want the site to do, you know, you get that, and they're like, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah. Um, and you want to find a designer who wants that, because if they don't want that, they're not going to be a good fit for, for creating this, they won't be a strategic designer. Right. Yeah, like when I, when I had my consulting site redone in like 2015 or something, you know, I worked with these guys at Knapsack Creative and I was like, and they were like, so what kind of colors do you want? And I was like, I want you to pick all of that. They're like, what fonts? I don't know. You're the designer. I want it to look expensive and trustworthy. You figure it out. Mm. And they're like, all right, awesome. And they were like, totally, <laughs> totally ran with it. And they, and they dug it. But I've had experiences in the past where kind of a similar thing where I gave a, you know, a similarly clear instruction and just ended up, you know, $3,000 in the hole with garbage. So, you know, like someone who just wasn't, you know, and I honestly, I just picked the wrong, but whatever. I picked someone who wasn't qualified to deal with that kind of a, that kind of an instruction. Well, and you can also, I mean, when you've been doing this a long time, you, you can see it, but you can look through designer websites and see who has samples that kind of fit with your style. But it's, you know, part of this is it's, it's about the feel or the, you know, the experience, as Joe Pine would say, um, the experience of being on your site. So the reason I have so many images of myself <laughs> and a lot of color is because I work in great intimacy with my clients. I want them when they go through my website, I want them to feel like they know what they're going to get mm-hmm. when they get to me. And so somebody who wants, you know, 
kind of a shy, retiring, quiet sort of person to work with probably isn't going to work well with me. And they might be turned off by the site and that would be good. Yeah, right? exactly. Right? Important because point. what they get, you know, wouldn't, would be out of alignment with what they saw. Yes. So it's that, um, it's that, it's also a question of how high touch you want to be and how, and what level of intimacy you want with your clients. Um, I've worked with corporate consultants, well, really coaches where I mean, you can imagine, right, the high level of intimacy you have, especially in a big corporation, because the coach is often picked by the HR department or the OD department, not the individual, but you'll usually get like three choices and then you pick one. And that coach has to report back to their corporate handler, not the intimate details of the relationship, but that can feel really scary to a C-suite person or director level because there's this person they can talk to, but they also have this open open line of communication to their HR people. So it's a, you know, there's a scariness about that. So when, when they choose their coach, they go to their websites and they mm-hmm. look and they see how do they talk about things? What do they, what do they look like? Like, do they look trustworthy? And, you know, everybody <laughs> has their own definition of what that is, but how do they communicate? And so... Um, I've worked with coaches who've said, listen, I, I just, I can't put um, testimonials on it. I, I just can't. And so, and I've gotten them to see that they could do them if the person, you know, agreed to do it, of course. And and then they might say, well, I can't use the names. I can't use the names and titles. So, well, what would happen if you asked for permission? You know, so it's those kinds of, it's that kind of feel that you want that's really important. And the more um, it's aligned with, how you actually work with them, the more powerful that that visual imagery is. Yeah. I, about- I just think they're important. And, and the lack of them is important too. It, you're sending a message with anything that's visual. And, you know, if we, we know, you know, a picture tells a thousand words. Yeah. So it's, it's the same as, you know, not returning the phone call is an action the same way, like deciding not to return the phone call you know, we're waiting a week to do it is an action the same way that, that, um, you know, picking it up on the first ring is an action. It's similar with the visuals mm-hmm. where like what you do or don't include is going to say something, whether you like it or not. So like people, like first impressions are a thing, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and if somebody's first impression of you is, you know, maybe, maybe somebody links to something on social media and click, boom, they land on your website. They are going to make a snap judgment based on before they read a word. And that is, and as long as that snap judgment is in alignment with the vibe that you're going for, then great, you know, then fabulous. Well, and there's also, um, how you look relative to your competitors, right? And it's, yeah, well, that's part of the strategy is you want to make sure that you're creating some white space, both in your messaging and I would argue in your visual presentation as well. You don't want to look like somebody else, right? And so I'll use myself as a, as a simple example. I'm the only woman doing this in this space. So I'm not, you're not going to see me not hide. I want people to know that I'm female. Right. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is in, in their eyes. They can choose me or not choose me. I'm not right. changing my gender. I, I, you know, I am who I am, right? But that is, that okay, is part noted. of it. Yeah. But that is, that's part of it. And so, and for everybody, it's different. But it's when you look at strategically 
who you're, and I use competitors very loosely here. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it's other people in your space, maybe would right. be a better way right. to, to put it. You don't want to look like any of them, right? Yeah, and, this is right. And uh, to pile on there, I see people who I think are probably in a fake it till you make it mode or something, and they copy the visuals without any of the other stuff. Mm. So, you know, it's like, um, it's like you're copying all the wrong things and you're making yourself look like somebody else who presumably is farther ahead than you and therefore is going to trounce you in, a, in an apples to apples comparison. It, it just makes it's weird because it it doesn't pass the sniff test like copying somebody's website makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But people will do it. I, I suppose I, I know people do it. I've seen people literally rip rip me off. Like, why would you rip off my website? But people have like pulled my CSS and just like exactly copy it. I'm like, all right, whatever, you know. But you know, you see it with other things too, or you see it with trends, like, like um, whatever. There's like some really popular WordPress theme that requires a big, huge hero image at the top, so everybody has essentially the same photo taken, and they, it, or it's mountains, <laughs> you know, like it's the same visuals, and you're like, I don't even know whose website I'm on. Oh yeah, that's the classic. Well, some of that is just they're just not using their imagination. But every 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 mountain is a peak and peak performance. I'm mm-hmm. gonna get you to peak performance, or it's all about um, financial advisors. It's a beach. It's people on a beach, <laughs> right? Everybody wants to be retired on a beach. So yeah, yeah, it's... yeah. So like, uh, anyway, anyway, just like copying the wrong thing. You know, it's yeah. like just be yourself because it, it you know, in a consulting space when they are going to be working, you know, you're going to have this high touch one-on-one thing. Copying, you know, like whatever, Dan Pink's website, because I mentioned that. Dan Pink, okay, so I'm going to copy. That's cool. It's cool. It's a cool website. It's yeah, like yeah, a it's lot. a great it's, website. Yeah, it's wonderful. But it's very him though. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's all That's these That's why videos. it's great. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, but it's also like, it's all, I don't know, to me, it is also cool and therefore, um, It'd be tempting to be like, I'm just going to do it like that. Or Simon Sinek's website's pretty cool. Or, you know, what, like what, mm-hmm. but, but that that's their thing. And copying the wrong thing, it's copying the wrong thing. <laughs> like the thing yeah. that you should copy is being really smart and communicating your message in a way that's going to cause people to make changes in their life that are beneficial. Copy that, you know, but to copy, like, it'd be like, oh, I want to be like Seth Godin. So I'm going to shave my head and wear crazy glasses in a suit. Yeah. You're copying the wrong thing. Exactly. Anyway, sorry for the little rant about about the visuals, <laughs> but it's like it's you're you're better off being weird because if you're weird, because everybody's weird, you might as well own it. And then when they meet you, it's expected. Yes, I, you know I actually think about how I met my husband, and we we met actually on Match.com if you can imagine that. But he had this picture. And I couldn't figure out like what was going on in the picture. I'm like, that's really unusual. I, he looks, and he had this really interesting bio. So later I asked what was in the picture. He was feeding a kangaroo. He was in <laughs> Australia. And I couldn't figure out, it was, it was like some furry little animal, but it didn't really look like a kangaroo because it was a baby kangaroo. But anyway, so, but the visual just caught me. I went, oh, you know, this person is really unusual. So taking a risk with your visuals is is really powerful and so one of the things not to do let's just talk tactics for a minute is don't just pull that horrible clip art 
right? Or really the the really bad, you know what I'm talking stock about, Stock photography, right? yeah. Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with stock photography. There's actually some really good stuff out there, but don't use the direct, like all the guys shaking hands, shaking hands yeah. across the table, like, ah, or yeah, arrows going everywhere. I mean, there's plenty <laughs> of sites with free photography where you can find images that are different, whether those are images that you use on your masthead or they're images you use in blog posts or social media, you know, just, it's just all I'm saying is you, you don't have to spend a lot of time and money on this. Jonathan, you've proven that, right? Yeah, right. Um, but you, you, you do want to think about it and make a conscious decision about how you're going to tactically use visuals to express your strategic brand. And then once you make that decision, you'll know whether the images work or not. You'll, they'll either feel right or they'll, you'll go, eh. and you can make decisions really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a good point because a lot of people I talk to are just so paralyzed by any of this when it comes to um, anything, any kind of decision like that, because it's pretty much everybody I work with. Well, no, I've got a few designer clients, but not, not that many. And they are usually just paralyzed between like, should I pick this logo or that logo? I'm like, I don't, I don't know either. Like what, I don't think it matters. Like they both kind of look the same to me. Like, do you, you know, like, talk to a designer. I don't know. You know, I always have an opinion. Yes, I'm sure. I mean, I'll, yeah, you ask me my opinion. I'm going to have one, yeah. but, but in general, yeah. it's but like, the opinion is, is based on what they're trying to express. Exactly. Not whether I like purple or green, you know, exactly. it's, it's, that's really not the issue. In fact, you know, usually when you do first round of logos and things like that, they're in black and white. So color doesn't, you know, doesn't impress you mm. that way. It's easier <laughs> to see whether you like it or not in black and white before you introduce color. Yeah, yeah. And, and to, to uh, enforce your point earlier about just spend some coin on a designer, I had one student who, he was like, I've really, I'm going to this conference and I really feel like I need some collateral to bring with me to you know make some kind of impact and I was like okay that you know could be and uh he had a bunch of really interesting ideas and they were all novel so I was like that's probably smart and they were you know made sense with him but you know he's like I want to get someone to do like a logo for his brand name and so you reached out to someone and just like spent 500 bucks and and it came back and I was like oh my god that is perfect because it was totally uh, it was clever but also clear and it also was just perfect for his brand and mm -hmm. and neither one of us ever would have thought of it in a million years but you know it was just like so if you point being like if you're paralyzed with like i don't know what logo or colors or fonts or blah 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 just spend some money and get someone good and just but but come to him with like you know rochelle said with like here's here's what i'm trying to achieve here's the vibe i'm trying to give off or however you would put that here's the brand yeah. strategy here's the target market um, i want them to react in this way when they see this yes because if you can't do that you can have the best designer in the world and they're not going to be able to translate it for you you have to know what you want it to do you don't have to know what it's going to look like that's where a, the right designer can really help you yeah. And what you just described is, you know, I think of that as it's the black box and it's why I love designers so much, love working with them. It's, you know, it's a, a good designer, never mind a great designer, has a way of synthesizing all the stuff that you give them and with their eye, with their 
affinity for the visual, turning it into something. And, and it doesn't mean that the first round won't suck. Sometimes that happens, but it's going to, they're going to get there. It's a good design is a process. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get lucky and like the first one out of the box is great. Now, one of the ways to increase your chances of that is to really study the examples they have on their website. So, cause what that'll tell you is, is what kinds of clients do they work with? Are they clients like you? And then it'll give you a sense of their aesthetic. Now, obviously, they're producing different things for different clients, but most will still have some kind of a commonality. Um, you know, I met my designer after um, I found her for a client who was working on a, a children's a site for children. And my designer's got this great, you know, kind of almost. Uh, whimsical, I don't want to say childlike, it's whimsical uh, style that worked perfectly. And I thought, gee, you know, I think she might be able to get what I'm after. And I talked with her and she worked with me and I'm still working with her, what, 10 years later. So it's you, you just, you find someone whose style matches yours and, you know, and, and budget, of course. And, and then you just, you keep working with them because the longer you work with the same person, the more they understand you and right. the faster they can produce things for you. Like, like for this event for your client. Yeah. Well, he, he had a, just again, to pile on, he did a, a smart thing I thought, which was that his, his target market, uh, was streamers. So like people that, that pay, get paid to stream themselves playing games on Twitch. So they're gamers. Oh, okay. You know, like Ninja with um, yeah. Fortnite and whatever, and so he he found he found a designer who did a bunch of work for high profile streamers, and mm. had them do his stuff. Yes, which very I thought smart. that was very clever. Instead of finding people who would normally help, like you know, he's in the software development space, like he's a coder, um, but instead of finding someone who worked with other coders, he found someone who worked with his target market. And it created something that was gamey, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And no, it I totally was like get it. it had that sort of that sort of gamer vibe where it was very fresh and uh, energetic and yeah. clever and fun and young. It was it was I thought it was genius actually. It spoke the language. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So stories, actions, and visuals. And the key, I feel like the key point that's that's come out of all of the conversation is to make sure that those things are all aligned, aligned. with your overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Because yeah, otherwise, you know, it's like, whoa, what stories do you tell? Oh, I don't know. Gee, I, this is what happened to me yesterday. It's, it's all in service to a strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you're, you can be push me, pull me, you know, like one mm -hmm. thing, you know, your, your visuals are saying one thing, your actions are saying another thing and your stories are somewhere else. Yeah, and, and I think the underlying message here is that it is about you, you know, and your business is about the transformations you make in your clients, but the way you get to expressing your brand is about taking you in your genius zone, right? The way that you work best when you're firing on all cylinders and you give as many clues to your audience, your ideal audience as you can mm -hmm. about those, you know, those genius zone activities or clients or projects. That, I mean, that's, it's translating you into all of this because then it's not hard, right? I mean, yeah, you have to think about these things. They don't just pop out of air, but you're not like struggling to figure out what stories do I tell? You know, 
You right. know the stories need to show these four or five themes. You know they need to hit this audience. And it's all, it's just a whole lot easier then to develop your tactics. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Another theme of the show. Really? Cool. Okay. Should we? Is there anything else? Or is the horse no. defeated? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not another thing. <laughs> Excellent. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time on The Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.